Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. So a theologian, psychologist, he taught at Notre Dame, he taught at Harvard, at Yale. He wrote over 30 books and spent a good chunk of his life traveling and giving speeches. In many ways, he was at the top of his career. But this all seemed to change in 1985. After a season of discernment, he decided to leave Harvard Divinity School, and he joined this small community outside of Toronto in Ontario called Lorarch Day Camp, and this was a community for people that were diagnosed with mental and physical disabilities, and he served as their pastor right up until the end of his life. But while he was there, he met a man named Adam. See, Adam... uh, Adam and Henry became very unlikely friends. Adam suffered from seizures, uh, and he struggled to, to communicate at all. But it was in this friendship that so many things clicked and changed for Henry Nowen. He spent a large majority of his day simply bathing, feeding, and caring for Adam. This Friendship was beneficial for Adam, but it was transformative for Nowen. And he says that in this act of caring, he actually found what it looks like to be God's beloved. Because here's the thing. Adam did not care how many books Henry Nowen wrote. He didn't care how many speeches he gave. He simply cared, did he show up each day? And he said, this is what it looks like to be God's beloved, stripped from all the facades of accomplishments. He says, at the very heart of ourselves as humans is this desire for a capacity to give and receive love, desire for a life of service. And maybe as you hear this story, you are very inspired But there might be a small kind of doubt that goes into your mind that kind of came to my mind when I was hearing this story. Couldn't Henry Nouwen have been more effective if he stayed at Harvard? Wouldn't his intellectual abilities have been put to better use if he stayed teaching? Would he have influenced more people in the world if he would have done that? And here in this story, we see a contrast of perspectives of greatness. But we also see this as a contrast to what we look in our modern culture. As we see stories of leader after leader falling and failing. That we see these leaders that are trying, that are like balloons, trying to build and blow up this ministry that their internal life cannot sustain. And it becomes overinflated to the point where it explodes and leaves shards for others to pick up. So what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? Greatness is seen in the acts of service. 
And so over this past series, we've been looking at the five marks of a disciple. We've been looking at growth and pursuit and community. And this week, we come to the mark of service. Here at Crosspoint, a disciple with service has a posture of serving others. They give of their time, treasure, and talent to build up the church and to help others in need. There's a book uh, that's, I think, really helpful in, in defining this by Robert Mahaly Jr. And the book is called An Invitation to a Journey. And in this book, he defines discipleship this way. He says, discipleship is being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. I'd like to kind of adapt that and adjust that and narrow it down to the idea of service. We display the mark of service when we are formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. This is the abundant life that Jesus has called us to live. This is the good life according to Jesus. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to flip to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 24 to 30. Now, as we read this section of Scripture, I want you to pay attention to something. I want you to pay attention to the arc and pattern of the passage. What is the narrative arc happening here in this discussion? So let's read the word of God together. A dispute also arose among them, talking about the disciples, as to which them was regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. Let the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And as I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so this leads us to our first reality. For us to display the mark of service, we first must inhabit the pattern of Jesus. And so in this passage, as we talked about, there's a context. Jesus just given, uh, just instituted communion for his disciples. And they're sitting in the upper room. This is before Jesus gets arrested and is crucified. And as they're sitting here, there's an argument that breaks out among the disciples as to who is the greatest. Now, if you read the Gospel of Luke or other Gospels, there's a very similar conversation that happens in different places of Jesus' ministry. Chances are, this isn't the first time Jesus and the disciples have had this conversation. And we could give the disciples a bad rap about this, like, why haven't you learned? But to be honest, I grew up with two younger brothers. I really understand this idea. I grew up always competing to prove that you were the best whether it be sports or games, it didn't matter. You always had to prove you were the best. 
Even when my brothers and I started to take our faith more seriously, it still got turned into a competition. I remember my middle brother, he went to Bible college and he was part of this serving team. And for some reason, they gave him the award of the most humble. <laughs> when he got home, I have never heard someone brag so much about winning an award for being the most humble. How does it feel being the second most humble person in this room? How do you even respond to that? <laughs> and so here's the thing. There's this pattern that we see in the passage. The disciples, they start in the verse 24 with this desire for greatness. There's this longing to be great. But then what does Jesus do? He takes that desire for greatness and he redefines it. He says, to be great, you must become like a servant. You must lower yourselves and serve others. But we also see, interestingly, in the very end of the passage, what happens? Jesus actually tells them that they will be great in the kingdom of heaven. He says, you will be, sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. You will have meal with me. And so here's the thing. Jesus does not deny their desire for greatness. Rather, he de uh, he redefines their desire for greatness. He says, what we see with the disciples is they desire greatness, but they desire it in the way of the world to assert their authority over other people. But Jesus says that's not the way of the kingdom. To see greatness in the kingdom of God, it's to humble yourself and then to see this exaltation on the other side. In fact, this becomes the very pattern of Jesus' entire life. In Philippians 2, there's this great hymn that Paul writes. And he talks about this pattern of Jesus. He said, Jesus was in the form of God, that he was in heaven, that Jesus had all authority. And yet, he humbled himself, taking on human form, becoming like a servant, and becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. But then what happens? The Father then raises him up. And then we see this idea of resurrection, that Jesus raised from the dead. And Paul says that every knee will bow before Jesus. That he's actually lifted above all. That the name of Jesus is lifted above all other names. This is the pattern of Jesus' life. Death, then resurrection. Cross, then crown. Service, then exaltation. And as we learn to follow Jesus, this pattern becomes the very pattern of our own lives. The Apostle Paul, again, in Galatians 2, says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me that the pattern of Jesus' life came to be the pattern that defined Paul's life and is also the pattern that defines our life. That we see Jesus calls us to die to ourselves so that we become alive to God. And it's this movement from the kingdom of self to the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of self is basically the range of our effective will, which is not always a bad thing. But here's the danger, the danger of pride. 
which looks to operate in our relationship to God and others on our own terms, in our own way, and in our own timing. It stands in direct opposition to the posture of faith and trust in God. And so here's the call. The call is to to die to ourselves so that we can become alive to God. But the idea of death to self is not this idea of self-hatred, but it's actually to put to death the selfish ambitions in our heart so that we can actually step into a new sense of freedom with a greater capacity to give and receive love. This is the movement from kingdom of self to the kingdom of God. It's the death and resurrection of our lives. Dallas Willard summarizes this so beautifully. This is what he says. Spiritual formation in Christ is the process by which one moves and is moved from self-worship to Christ-centered self-denial as a general condition of life in God's present and eternal kingdom. It's the process by which one moves as we learn to put to death the selfish ambition in our heart, but also is moved. We're partnering with God and the Holy Spirit working in us to bring new life in our lives. And it's a movement from self-worship where I want to redefine the world around my own self versus Christ-centered self-denial where I redefine my world around Jesus. This is the movement of our lives. All right, let me illustrate this for us. A few years ago, I went with some family and friends down to Six Flags, California to go on a bunch of roller coasters. So obviously, we don't go to roller coasters very often. So I was gonna, we were going to make the most of it. And what we did is we bought the Fast Pass. If you do not know what a Fast Pass is, it is the epitome of capitalism. You literally pay more money and you go to the front of the line. <laughs> it was great. And I remember there was a two-hour lineup for this roller coaster, but we had the Fast Pass. We get our own lineup, and we just run through it just to show those people that we can run. We run through our own line back and forth straight to the front, mocking all those poor people who didn't fork out the extra $100 or whatever it was. <laughs> But when it comes to our life and discipleship with Jesus, we long for the fast pass to a life of joy, which avoids the long, challenging process of a life of service. Like the disciples, we desire the abundant life, but without the way of service. But we fail to see that the abundant life is found in the way of service. This is how these we see with these two different lineups, the contrast of the way of discipleship. So let me ask you a question. What is the point of a roller coaster? You might think it's for your enjoyment, and you would be wrong. A roller coaster is for your transformation. In the gym of the fruit of the spirit, a roller coaster lineup is the bench press of patience. That as you stand in a hot lineup with a bunch of your friends, you grow as people of patience. You learn to slow down, 
you learn to have conversations with people. And just when you get to the front of the line, you think that you have developed so much character. You realize the brokenness of your heart when somebody tries to cut in line. No, 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 you cannot save that spot. And you quickly see that you still have a long way to go. But let's fast forward to the other side, the fast pass line, where our close group of friends turned into a herd of individuals, running, pursuing one experience of joy to another yet missing out on a deeper level of community and a deeper level of learning to suffer with others. This is our call. There is no fast pass in a life of following Jesus. It comes through a life of service, learning to put to death the brokenness in our heart so that we can see God come alive in us as we become people of servants. So what does it look like for you in your life? How do you inhabit the pattern of Jesus? What are areas of your life that need to be put to death so that there can be a greater sense of life? And we look at the idea of our time, treasure, and talent, that to be a generous people, it actually involves a, a sense dying to yourself, that to take the resources that you have, there'll be less for you to use on your own ambitions, but that actually frees you up for the capacity to be generous. Or maybe your time, something that we've become so protective of. I just don't have time to do that. But what does it look like for you to approach your time in that way, to see that selfish ambition be put aside, to budget your time in a way to create space to serve others? Then a world of individualism, consumerism, that the, the mark of service pushes back against that as we get to inhabit a new pattern to our lives. And so as we've seen, we've we display the mark of service when we inhabit the pattern of Jesus. But we also display the mark of service when we display the posture of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, you can flip, uh, continue on in verse 26. So we see the Gentiles, they exercised their lordship over others. But Jesus provides a contrast. He says, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at a table, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at a table? But I am among you as the one who serves." So in this context, we see um, the idea where Jesus says, you are to be the youngest, that the youngest people in this culture had the least amount of status. He also says, you are to be like a servant, which again, low position, low status. And here we see Jesus redefining greatness, that he actually talks about this idea of servant leadership, which in this context would have been complete contradiction of terms. In fact, the very term humility, which we count as a virtue, was something that was, was actually a derogative uh, term in this culture. But we actually see through the ministry of Jesus, the writings of Paul, the word humility actually begins to start to be used in a positive way. And even when we look at our culture today, when you look at leadership literature, there's a whole brand of literature called servant leadership. And this comes from the example of Jesus. 
And so in this context, we talked about that the disciples of Jesus are in the upper room. And in the Gospel of John, before this, Jesus displays this posture. He washes the feet of his disciples. That Jesus takes off his outer garment and he puts on a towel and he humbles himself. In fact, washing the feet of people was something that was even lower than some servants were willing to do. And here's Jesus washing the feet of his disciple. And so when we look at our world, how do we define greatness? How do we find true spiritual authority? Well, Richard Foster, he says, therefore, spiritual authority of which Jesus spoke was an authority not found in a position or a title, but in a towel. Jesus took the towel and redefined greatness. In our culture, there are many symbols to define greatness, whether it be a Rolex watch, uh, driving around in a Tesla, a blue mark beside your name on Instagram. But when, we, when it comes to the kingdom of God, this towel is a symbol of greatness. This is what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. This is the example of Jesus who picked up the towel, who took the posture of a servant, and who humbled himself. This towel is where we find the abundant life and the capacity to give and receive love. This is what greatness in the kingdom of God represents. And so I want to illustrate that again. Uh, this happens through uh, my wife, JC. Now, when her and I, just before we had started dating, she came over to have dinner with my family. And so she's kind of getting to know my family. I'm sure a bit of an anxious moment for her and myself, kind of seeing, okay, is my family going to approve of this new potential girlfriend? And so we have this wonderful dinner. And then after dinner, I do what I normally do and went and sat down on the couch. Now, JC, being further in her discipleship to Jesus, picked up the towel. She went to the kitchen, and she started doing the dishes. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there realizing, <laughs> here's JC, supposed to be the guest, doing the dishes. And so I said, oh, no, I can't just sit here and let her do the dishes. I have to get up, and I have to help her. And so I quickly, frantically get up and turn off the TV and pretend it wasn't on and go and help her. And from that moment on, she had won over the heart of my mom. She says, if you can make my son get up and do the dishes, <laughs> you are a keeper. <laughs> but this is what it looks like to see greatness in the kingdom of God. In your life, what does it look like to pick up the metaphorical towel, to adopt the posture of a servant? What does it look like in your workplace where people are fighting for promotions or to be seen as greater than others? What does it look like for you to pick up the towel and to serve those people? When it comes to our church community, what does it look like to partner in community as a person of service, to pick up the towel? Maybe it looks like joining a serving team. Maybe it looks like serving downstairs with the kids where no one will see your work and recognize it. What does it look like to pick up the towel in our broader community? To invite people over to your house who will not be able to repay the favor? 
What does it look like to pick up the towel in your life? And maybe we don't need to make this into a metaphor. Maybe that actually means picking up a towel and doing the dishes. (laughs) But as we look to display the posture of Jesus, we cannot do this without first operating out of the power of a life lived with Jesus. And this is our third point. We display the mark of service when we live from the power of being with Jesus. Picking up again in verse 28, Jesus says to his disciples, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigns to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the throne and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you have your own Bible, I would encourage you to underline those who have stayed with me. That we see in the life of the disciples, they were people that were with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They suffered with Jesus in his trials. And this is where true power came from. But the disciples were not, did not live this out perfectly. In fact, right after this, Jesus is going to tell Peter that you're going to deny me. And so I think that's encouragement for us that as we try and learn to live this, we're not going to do it perfectly, but it comes through a life of being with Jesus. Fast forward in the life of the disciples to the book of Acts. And we see these disciples displaying great feats among the people. That on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath they serve this crippled man. And they, in fact, they heal him. And the religious leaders get very upset But Peter and John, they speak with boldness about their posture of being a servant. And in Acts 4.13, talking about the religious leaders, it says that now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The power to live a life of service is not found strictly in our, um, in our ability, education, status, but it's found rather in a life of being with Jesus. That as we spend time with Jesus, that gives us the power to live like Jesus lived. And Jesus himself gives us an example on how to do this. Throughout the life of Jesus, we see him operating both in abiding and bearing fruit. That he would go for seasons away from people to be with the Father, alone, spending time praying uh, and abiding with the Father. But then that would always be followed up with seasons of ministry and service. And it was just this pendulum of abiding, time with the Father, going out and bearing fruit and serving. And this is how we live out of a life of power with Jesus, that we spend time with Jesus, that we, as we talked about before in our uh, marks of growth and pursuit, the idea of solitude, of spending time with God to redefine our desires. But then that's always followed up with a life of service to moving out and serving the people in our community. And we need to live out both of these to experience this life of transformation. And maybe this morning, as I talk about this idea of power, you look at your own life and you feel, I'm missing this. 
I don't feel like I have that sense of power in my life to serve people the way that I feel like I should. And there's this call for us to both abide and bear fruit, not just do one or the other. For some of us, we lean really heavy to this abiding thing. Getting away from people is super easy. We love to do it. We just become what I'd like to call religious consumers, absorb large amounts of information, and then we look at churches and we say, how can this church meet my needs? And people are church shopping, going to different places, which honestly is not a bad thing. But here's the problem, is we do it under the filter of how can this church serve my needs instead of how can I partner with this church to serve the community? That, yes, as we abide, we need to be drawn towards serving others and bearing fruit. On the other hand, I recognize there's some of us in this room that are, in some ways, religious activists, that we are serving in a ton of different things, that we're working really hard in one way to prove that we are a good Christian, to prove that we are worthy of love. But to be honest, we might feel empty, and you might not even remember the last time you were quiet before God, reading his word. And here's the good news of Jesus, that he's given us grace and the gospel. Maybe for you, you just feel under the weight of the pace of life. You hear this idea of serving, you're like, yes, I know I should serve, but I just don't have the capacity of the time to do it. And you start to feel really guilty as I've been talking. You're like, I know I should be doing more, but I just don't have the space or time. Hear the invitation of Jesus, the call to abide and to bear fruit. And this is why we need the gospel to live this out. Dallas Willard says that grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. See, earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. That we cannot earn God's love. That like in that friendship with Nowen and Adam, they learned what it looks like to be God's beloved, stripped away of all accomplishments, and simply with this reality of being part of a community, the capacity to give and receive love. But we're also called to be people that display effort, the call to die to ourselves so that Jesus can come alive, to serve the people in our community. The gospel is not opposed to effort. It's because we've received this love that we are called to live this kind of life. And so as we close this morning, I want us to give Jesus the last word. And so we come before with, you know, whether it be the weight or just that longing for more. And I want us to hear the words of Jesus this morning. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The life of service is not some bait and switch. It's a gentle invitation to live in a new kind of way. That Jesus invites us into a new kind of lifestyle, a lifestyle of service. And he says to take on his yoke. And so in this time, a yoke was something that was put on an ox to plow a field. 
And what they would often do is they would pair a younger, a younger ox with an older ox. Because the young ox, full of energy, would just start running in different directions and tire itself out. But it was the old, strong ox that would set the steady pace. That when the young ox was hitched to the old ox, that they would follow that pace, accomplishing that work. And this is the call of Jesus, is to hitch ourselves to him. It's to step out and to trust him as he guides and leads, defines the pattern and posture of our lives. To find real spiritual rest is not found in a vacation, though that's important and a good thing. It's a found in a new way of living. It's found in this posture of service as we respond to Jesus' invitation to live this life. This is what it looks like to see greatness in the kingdom of God. Crosspoint, this morning, you are called to greatness. You are called to be great in this world. But that means that you are called to a life of service. You are called to a life of trusting Jesus, a life of laying down your own life so that Jesus might become evident in your life, that you might become people that display grace, that pick up the towel, and that show what it looks like for the kingdom of God to break in here and now. You are called to greatness. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are just thankful for the ways that you are guiding and leading us. Jesus, we pray that we would uh, be a people that would operate out of humility, that would look to serve others, to lift others up. But we do this not because we try and earn your favor, because of what we've received from you. That you, though in the form of God, humbled yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that in you we can experience the resurrection and new life. Jesus, we just pray by your grace and your power that you would allow us to be your people, displaying your kingdom in this world. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.